Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Time of my life, and I never felt this way before. I swear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious how many people did not realize that that was you actually singing until that moment. I don't know if people know that my voice drops into a very sultry baritone. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, prom party. Uh... If the title didn't tell you what we're doing this week, that sure should have. Yeah, so not only are you getting a new fancy intro for the podcast, that's a little treat for you. Yeah, there you go. You can stick that little bee in your bonnet and carry that with you throughout the day. (laughs) (laughs) BJ, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, I am finally sleeping after about a week of not sleeping, so that's exciting. Yeah, you feeling rested? No. Oh, I'm sorry. But (laughs) it's better than nothing, question mark? I don't know. I I think it'll be fine. If nothing else, I'm actually really excited to talk about this movie. So um, that will carry us through the episode. I'm pretty excited to talk about this one, too. This is one that people are also very excited to talk about, which makes me very happy. Mm -hmm. Um, When we announced our schedule on Patreon, the amount of people that were like, Holy shit, August is stacked. Uh, made me feel really good. I think that was the exact quote of friend of the pod, Matt Hearth. So shout out to you. But that was sort of the general consensus with this month of just like, wow, everything is like really good this month. Hey, you're all going to be very excited for probably the rest of the year. I think we have a really solid lineup for the last four months. I think so, too. And this is the evergreen reminder that if a movie pops up and you're like, I don't know what that is, that's your sign to go and watch it. So yes, we are talking about Dirty Dancing today. This movie is celebrating its 35th anniversary, which felt like the perfect time to talk about it. There are anniversary screenings that are happening in theaters all across the country, either through like the proper events, like I think like Fathom Events is doing one or one of those similar brands. But then also if you have like a little like indie theater or a retrospective theater house, they're probably doing them too. So check your local areas and see and you might get the chance to see it on the big screen. I would actually really like to see this in a room full of people who have clearly seen it more than me. (laughs) I think that would be a wild experience. Okay, so speaking of people seeing this more than you, what is your introduction to Dirty Dancing? I mean, it's around. Um, I had the soundtrack because I had a a copy that I had ripped off of the CD at the vintage store that I worked at. Because this, this is a period piece. Aside from when they're dancing and you get like, 
the song that I opened the episode with, or mm-hmm. like Hungry Eyes, pretty much everything's era appropriate. Yeah, there's a couple anachronistic, like, don't forget, we are in the 80s. Oh, how could we ever forget? <laughs> uh, moments that are just sort of thrown in there. But you're right, for the most part, it does sort of sit in the the appropriate time period, which to me adds to the appeal. Like the soundtrack oh, yeah. to Dirty Dancing is just as, if not more important than um, a lot of the the technical aspects of this movie. Oh, yeah. And, like, this is, like, a creme de la creme of early 60s music. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic stuff. But, no, I'd never seen Dirty Dancing. Um, it was on TV, but, like, I never really pursued it. Um, weirdly enough, I had a much worse impression of this movie going into it that oh. I'm dying to get into once we talk about Johnny a little bit more in depth. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for that. Um, so for me, Dirty Dancing is one of those omnipresent films in my life. Um, my mom is a really big fan of this movie. Yeah. Um, growing up, the two movies that she would watch all the time were Dirty Dancing and Independence Day. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like, constantly. And, you know, horror, too, because that was... That was like our thing was watching horror together. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a treat for the pod, I called my mom. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, hey, girl, you want to talk to me about Dirty Dancing? And what ended up happening is we had about, uh, I mean, we had a much longer conversation about a bunch of other bullshit. But for the purposes of the show, we had about a five-minute conversation Maybe one minute of it is about Dirty Dancing mm-hmm. because my mom loves movies but does not have the language to really express why she loves movies. But I did get the chance to ask her some other questions other than just Dirty Dancing. Mm-hmm. So now y'all can see like the kind of person that I came from, uh-huh. <laughs> which I think explains a lot. Yes. Um, so, you know what? Let's just roll the clip and uh, everyone say, hi, Mama Colangelo. <laughs> <laughs> so, because um, I'm going to record it so that we could put it in the show. So if you could say your name and your relation to me. My name is Kelly Colangelo and you are my daughter. <laughs> yeah. So on the show, I talk a lot about how you and dad really didn't like hide things from me in terms of like movies. You'd kind of let me watch whatever I wanted and would watch it with me. Um, Why did you do that? Like, why were you not one of those like weirdo parents that were like, you can't watch SpongeBob, it's banned. Well, I think we try to let you have your own open mind. We weren't gonna hide things from you because you had to learn and see it for yourself. That's what I always assumed, but it's nice to know that that was your mindset as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why you got a happy meal and got to watch every horror movie. Yeah. (laughs) At the age of two. (laughs) Um, So what kind of movies do you like to watch? Um, I used to be only really interested in things that were like more of the horror, suspenseful, but now I kind of am more into comedies and romance. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just age or per, now that you're retired? Like, do you, do you have any age? Yeah, I think age has a lot to do with it. But then again, they don't, some of the movies that they made back in the day, the horror ones, they're just not as good as they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's subjective, but I, I agree. Like, you kind of can't compete with a lot of those classics. 
Exactly. So, they, I mean, they're good, but they're just not enough. Like, you know, like I was still watching any of the new Halloweens or any of those things that come out. But comedies, because, you know, when you get older, life is a lot different. And you need to have that, you know, release so you're not dealing with, you know, stress and finances and, you know, obligations. So you can sit back and actually have fun. That's why I think comedies are my favorite. And, of course, you know, everybody can be a romantic at some stage (laughs) no i definitely agree um so growing up i remember like you would talk about dirty dancing a lot as a movie that you liked why do you think that's a movie that you like so much well growing up it was kind of my age era you know dirty dancing um you're always attracted to the the bad boy Mm -hmm. and (laughs) You know, nothing, it was plus it was obviously romantic, but seeing, you know, the dancing and the music, and of course, you know, the rich girl, you know, falls in love with the bad boy. You yeah. Know, that was kind of classic. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, we were watching it, and uh, when they're doing the montage where Johnny's teaching Baby how to dance, and up until this point, Harmony had been very, like, neutral on Patrick Swayze, because she doesn't, mm-hmm. she doesn't like men. And then she watched that scene and she goes, oh, oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Patrick Swayze. I mean, I don't consider him like the most attractive, you know, actor, but he has definitely got the moves and it makes him even better looking. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to pick like who you think is like, like the most attractive actor, like who, who was the guy for you growing up? Oh, wow. Or musician, I guess, either one. Well, older, I, I mean, I always thought Clint Eastwood was really hot. But then again, music, you know, you have Davy Jones and um, David Cassidy, you know, like back in the, of course, Bon Jovi, you know, he's my all-time, <laughs> <laughs> my all-time wannabe crush. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of makes sense, though, because, like, Bon Jovi and Clint Eastwood both have, like, very, like, chiseled features, but then, like... Like, David Cassidy, like, he's got kind of, like, heartthrob, like, round boy face. Yeah, I think that was all related more to the music. Of course, you know, we got to watch the TV shows back in the day, too, which, you know, really got all the girls all giddy. You know, it's like, <laughs> ooh. You know, because all the, all the pop singers back then were just all good-looking guys. And, you know, and then we finally get to watch that kind of stuff on TV. You know, because not that TV wasn't around when I was little. It was, but there was not much to watch. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Um, so I guess my la- my last question for you is, if you had to only watch, like, one movie over and over again, what movie would it be? Well, I don't know if this is surprising to you, but I always loved Independence Day. Yeah, I figured that was going to be your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of romantic movies and stuff out there that I liked and some, you know, suspenseful ones. But Independence Day is, I pro- you know, and also Jurassic Park. It, it, it's, it's a cross up between the two but independence day wins i figured as much i mean (laughs) that like whenever i think about that movie or if somebody's like oh we're gonna watch independence day i think of you like i associate that movie with you because you (laughs) love it so much it's one of those if you're turning channels and it's on i stop and watch it i don't care what 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 else i'm doing i just (laughs) don't watch it
Alrighty, so I hope you all enjoyed that and now love my mom. If you don't, don't tell me. The way that your mother gets emotional about Bill Paxton's speech in Independence Day. Look, who doesn't? <laughs> like, I am... I mean, it does... It, I'm not going to lie. It makes me feel kind of patriotic. You, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say is, is like, look, America fucking blows. America sucks on ice. Mm-hmm. Bill Paxton doing a presidential speech, like... Put her put put the American flag behind me. Let old glory wave because goddamn. <laughs> yep. But like, and here's the thing. I want to say like, oh no, you need to build up to it like with the whole movie, and then you're like, yeah, it's us against the aliens that want to. Oh wipe hell us out. no! Like you get that out of context, and you're just like, and I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> <laughs> kind of or it's like I, I think it's because i've seen this movie enough because it used to air on tv tnt constantly oh god yeah so like i think that i know what we're building up to and he's just he sells me on it like just one of the only times that i feel american patriotism in my heart um one of the some of the other ones include like miss firecracker yes <laughs> <laughs> which hey as always, go and listen to Miss Firecracker. Go watch the movie. It's a delight. It's not ri- it's it's not common that we get to hang out in the south on this podcast. This is very true. We don't, and that's a good one. So, yes, hope you hope you enjoyed that. I thought it was very sweet. She was very nervous about it, mm-hmm. which I think is very cute. But all right. So, this movie we're celebrating the anniversary. Harmony, what kind of context do you have for us? So I'm not actually going to go super duper into depth on the context for it because a lot of the movies that I would bring up are also celebrating anniversaries this year. (laughs) And we will be doing them later in the year when it gets closer to their actual release day. Mm -hmm. But um, it's really interesting because this is the end of like the John Hughes teen era. Like he thrived throughout 84, 85, 86 87 is where he releases Some Kind of Wonderful, which we'll do later. And that's the last time he does a story with teen leads. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, he just transitions into adults. And so we're now in this... I, I want to say that like we've peaked. 87 feels like the peak of 80s teen cinema as like a widespread genre. And then after that, it becomes more isolated films. So you have... Can't Buy Me Love, you have Adventures in Babysitting, you have Princess Bride, Dirty Dancing, Some Kind of Wonderful, and Pretty Smart. Hey, everything (laughs) comes back to Pretty Smart in my book. Pretty Smart was the first movie we did from this overall pretty good year. Like, there's some Mm -hmm. really good highlights in this year. But when you look at all of these, like, very successful films in relation to each other, they don't make a lot of sense together. Like, Dirty Dancing makes sense in that... Dance movies had quite a heyday in the 80s, specifically during the mid-80s. And also just Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Of course. Yeah. So that makes sense. But when you look at all of these other films, it's like, well, Princess Bride, like, that's a fantasy film. Dirty Dancing's a period piece. Mm -hmm. Adventures in Babysitting is an adventure. Mm -hmm. Like, these are all handling different genres, but using teens as a vehicle for it, Mm -hmm. which I think is one reason that this is one of my favorite overall years for teen films. Because it's a really complex year. It's not a bunch of movies that are all kind of doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're all wildly different from one another. Yeah, and we have sort of graduated on from sex comedies by this point, Mm -hmm. which is... Don't get me wrong, you can do stuff with a sex comedy, but like we're treating teen films with more gravitas. 
Yeah. So something that we will also talk about later this year, spoiler alert, Fest Times at Ridgemont High turns 40 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the movie that changed sort of the landscape of what was possible for teen films. Like Universal was r- really worried about making this movie because they didn't think that it was going to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. So the teen film as we know it today really didn't start getting crafted until 1982. Mm-hmm. So we're like, what, less than a decade from that right now? So we're five years in. <laughs> yeah, we're five years past that. And that is, that is already another shift in teen movies, which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. Oh, definitely. So wonderful. Yeah, we're not going to not going to dive in too much into that cuz we're going to keep talking about 87 throughout the rest of the year. What a stacked year with a lot of anniversaries and we might not even get to all of them. Yeah, it's bananas. <sighs> all righty, friends, before we dive into the movie proper, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. Alrighty. So, Harmony, let's start with our leading lady. Let's talk about Baby. How do you feel about Baby. The thing is, I was not sure how I was going to feel about her at the beginning of this movie. Okay. Because she doesn't really have a lot going at first. Mm -hmm. She's like a sheltered rich girl, and she's on vacation, and she's like inquisitive. Mm -hmm. But there's there's not a lot of character going on until she starts mingling with the staff. And With then the you commoners. get to, yes, you get to see her start to open up as a character in that moment. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that is when baby finally gets to experience what it means to be like liberated. Because obviously, if we're speaking in a vacuum, like eat the rich, fuck the wealthy, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But something that we don't talk about enough, and these are conversations that I think culturally we're starting to have now that we're able to have more nuanced approaches to this sort of thing is what a lot of people don't realize is that although wealthy white children have an immeasurable leg up on all of us, Mm -hmm. they do still experience familial strife and issues in ways that none of us have ever had to comprehend. So for example, there is this extreme pressure to maintain appearances and status quo You have to do certain things. You have to be a certain way. And if you choose to go against any of that, the threat of being cut off financially completely and being left with absolutely nothing, no resources, and on top of that, no real way to take care of yourself because... You've never developed the skills. You've never developed the skills to do that. 
is very, very common. And I know it's like playing the world's tiniest violin, but we're talking about children here. Like, Mm -hmm. they're teenagers. Baby is 18. Like, she's just old enough to, like, go out and experience the world and be on her own. She does not have the life skills yet. So if she does do something that pisses her parents off enough to cut her off completely, she is beyond fucked like she has nothing and that's something i don't think a lot of people ever take into consideration obviously because the wealth disparity in america is such shit oh yeah but like i would feel bad for her in that situation so getting to see her with the staff and how they're able to kind of let loose and have a little bit more fun and it's not so straight laced and and tight is the first time she's really getting to see like i don't want to say like how the other side lives but that's kind of what it is and there's something appealing to that. And there's something that feels freeing about that. Something about seeing the titular dirty dancing? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's liberating because a lot of rich people are also in extremely repressive households. Oh, yeah. Where you're not allowed to express the feelings that you have because, like, children are supposed to be seen and not heard. Like, mm-hmm. things of, of that sort. Oh, God. my One of my favorite things that I've ever seen on YouTube is... One of those like mental hygiene films from the 50s. And it's like a dinner date with your parents. And one of the things they bring up, which would be around this time, maybe like five years removed from when that would have been made is no. Remember, Billy and Sally, dad had a hard day at work. Try not to bring up unpleasant conversation that he might not want to put up with. <laughs> no. Uh, yes. You've shown me this video and you're totally right. Like that was sort of the mentality of like dad had a hard day at work. So don't bug him with your problem. Yeah, shut the fuck shut up the fuck and up. eat your turkey. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is like such a shitty thing to do. And like that is not conducive to helping children develop. And then we wonder why so many people end up just perpetuating these same cycles over and over and over again. And it's because they're sort of beaten into submission in that way like physically or emotionally Uh and they never expand outside of that world like it's a really weird way of like i don't want to say like keeping bloodlines pure but that's exactly what it is like when you look at the old ways like i'm talking centuries old and it's like yeah there was a lot of incest between the wealthy because they literally were trying to keep all of that money within the family and within like that group Mm mm-hmm well, you can't do that anymore because it ends up having bad results for the offspring. So what do they do instead? Um, psychologically abuse their children into being a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what happens now. Yeah, and, like, here's the thing. Um, like, even just bringing this down to, like, the specific example of Dirty Dancing, it makes total sense why Baby would be enthralled by anything that is not where she currently is. Because for one thing, there's like no young people at this old people retreat that they're on. Oh my god, like none. It's like her and her sister and like a handful of others. Yeah. So they're doing like dancing at like this gazebo with a bunch of elderly people. And it's like, remember guys, go into a ring on the outside. Girls, stay on the inside. And when we stop spinning, you'll find your soulmate. And she ends up with like a very old lady. Yes. (laughs) So So there's nothing for her here either. No, it's just... It, it almost feels like you're getting dragged away for three weeks to a retirement home yeah, of extremely wealthy people. Yeah, a little bit. And, like, when your dad's Jerry Orbach, like, he's a hard ass. For sure he's a hard ass. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult. And we get to see a little bit of the dichotomy between, like, what the paths could be with the children. Because baby's sister is 
wicked submissive to her parents. She is so weird. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, she is desperately trying to appease them at any turn. Like, she is desperate for their approval. Uh, That is Jane Brucker, uh, who plays Lisa. And she's just like, is this good, Daddy? Is this good? Like, she is so desperate for their approval. It's like watching Shane McMahon do literally anything for Vince McMahon. Like, it is just, there is a level of patheticness that hangs over the air of, oh, my God, all you want is for your parents to, like, show that they love you and show that they care about you, and you're not getting that. And that sucks. Well, she she's also like extremely high strung and very superficial. Going like, oh my god, I should have brought this pair of shoes. I only brought fourteen other pairs. What will I do? Again, like it just it really feels like we are getting a weird behind the scenes look at the dysfunction of children who grow up in wealthy households. And I mean, like. It's really hard to assess that in terms of a modern sense because all of, like, the rich kids who are on TikTok, it's all performative. Like, mm-hmm. none of it is authentic. So they just look like assholes all the time. Yeah. But, like, Dirty Dancing shows the behind the scenes of that. Oh, no. This is, like, a, the this is the version of rich people behaving badly that I like because the behaving badly is just doing, like, teen rebellion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Johnny, I came here because my father... No, the, the way he saved her... I mean, I, I could never do anything like that. There was something that... I mean, the reason people treat me like I'm nothing is because I'm nothing. That's not true. You, you're everything. You don't understand the way it is. I mean, for somebody like me, last month I'm, I'm eating juju bees to keep alive. This month, women are stuffing diamonds in my pockets. I'm balancing on shit as quick as that. I could be down there again. No, it, it's not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. I've never known anybody like you. You look at the world and you think you can make it better. Somebody's lost, you find them. Somebody's bleeding. Yeah, I go get my daddy. That's really brave, like you said. That took a lot of guts to go to him. You are not scared of anything. I don't. Me, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did. Of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. So I love Baby as a character because she's very much figuring out who she is. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like she's met the the staff and suddenly she's been corrupted. Like, that's not who she is. She's always been this person. She's always had a desire for this. She's always been intrigued by it. She just needed somebody to let the genie out of the bottle. Like, that's what needed to happen for mm-hmm. her. And I also kind of love the the double life thing. I love that she is willing to push those boundaries because it is a scary situation when you're that young and, you know, you're supposed to be planning for college. What if dad suddenly stops helping you financially? Like, that's going to be a hard time for you. Uh I get that. And seeing her just kind of do her own thing is really nice. And uh, I I just – I love her. I think she's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I forever laugh when she ends up at the at the dance for the first time, and they're like, "What did you do? Like, how'd you get here?" And she's like, I "Carried a watermelon." <laughs> like, it's just so matter of fact and sweet. I just love Jennifer Grey. I love Jennifer Grey so much. I think that like I would describe the kind of acting she does. Um, it's during this specific part of her career and in this thing, is she has these little like firecracker moments where mm-hmm. like she litters each scene with these tiny little like outbursts where it's like. She throws a little fit while she's dancing on the bridge during, like, that montage that we will Mm -hmm. get to. 
Um, or when she just like has these little moments where she like lights up and starts laughing, like these these things that just pop. Mm-hmm. Like God, it's just it's so captivating and infectious, and I love her. There's something so palpably relatable about Jennifer Grey. Like I watch her, and I'm like, oh, I know this girl. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously, she is gorgeous. Like she's so beautiful. But at the same time, she's beautiful in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, she just like popped off of a magazine. Like she's not like Kelly LeBrock hot. Oh yeah, which we we cover weird science on we're the Patreon. We're gonna go on the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it's not that type of hot. It's just like you look at her and you're like, you are a real person, and you are also dropped it gorgeous. Oh yeah, she's she looks great. Um, she rocks a pair of like high waisted mom shorts fantastically. Oh my gosh, yes, such a good look. White heads, no socks, good mm-hmm. for you. B- big fan of anyone with a like a big nose and curly hair. You know, speaking from my own soul. So, uh, love that. But I, I, I think speaking of like kind of like this, I don't know, parents and wanting to cut loose and whatever. An interesting thing about my mom is that. Her one of her favorite movies is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. And my mom desperately wanted to be the wild child. And by that, like, I don't think she was that wild. I think that she was wild by like our super fuddy duddy family. <laughs> so right. in in comparative terms, <laughs> she was. But she desperately wanted to be Ferris Bueller, but she wasn't. She's Jeannie, and mm-hmm. she relates to her in that sense. Mm-hmm. And what what does that say about, like, wanting to break the cycle, but you can't or you just don't? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. We talked about this a little bit on our Shiva Baby episode. I understand, like, obligation pushes us into roles that we may not necessarily want to. Mm-hmm. We all do have the choice at the end of the day to break out of those molds. You've just got to be a little bit stronger than that obligatory f- feeling. Uh, Jeannie is not strong enough to push back on that obligatory feeling. Mm-hmm. Baby is. Yes. That's one of the things here is that Johnny says like, oh, how hard it must be to go ask your dad for money. And the thing is, that is hard. Yeah, because they hold it over you forever. Oh, boy. I never once asked my mother for money because I knew that she would hold it over my head. And, like, we don't come from, like, a lot of money in our family at all. But, like, my brother would ask for, like, 40 bucks for gas. And my mom would bring it up, like, a year later. That was just a thing that would happen. And so I learned, don't do that. It will haunt you. You will be cursed with the burden of a tiny amount of money by this woman for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that is that is a very real thing. And this movie does so well at dissecting some of the intricacies of class mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think that we talk about and we still don't talk about. There's been a big push lately. Um, sorry to mention TikTok again, but <laughs> that's my life now. Um, but there's been a lot of conversations where like people have talked about how in the wake of like Trump and the quest for racial justice that a lot of white kids are just cutting off their family mm-hmm. and how that is like a becoming a very, very common thing of just like, if you can't get on board, then we're done here and going cool. no contact. Love it. Which like is cool. And the amount of people that talk about how hard it is to do that because of the way that they have sort of been formulated to live their entire life or the fact that it's like, I want to cut them off, but I can't because they paid for my first year of college and now they're sending like lawyers on me. 
that is a thing that rich parents will do because they don't give a fuck about their kids. It's like, like the um, the elevated version of now that you're 18, you better start paying me rent. It's like that, but way more nefarious because it's like, oh, I'm going to take care of you, pay for your college, that, do whatever. That thing we already did, guess uh-huh. what? I'm going back on Correct. that deal. It's exactly that. Like, no, retroactively, you now owe me hundreds of thousands of dollars, which, of course, they can't get out of that. It's financial abuse, Mm -hmm. and now they're stuck, like, being in touch and in contact with horrible people. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's tough. It is tough. Like, even if your family does have the money, that's not always a good thing. I did not have the money growing up, just did not have it, so it was not a question that I could ever ask. But I had friends that were from wealthier families, and it was a really similar situation where it was a constant, like, a barter. It's like, oh, I want money so that I can go get whatever with some of my friends, or, oh, I want this. And at the same time, it'd be like, well, what if I got a job? Like, can I get, like, a summer job so that I don't have to ask you for money all the time? And it's like, well, no. I don't want you having a job. I want you at home. I want you at doing this. You need to be available for X, Y, and Z. I mean, I knew people who weren't allowed to get jobs because all the jobs they would have to get were entry-level positions. Mm-hmm. And their parents were like, no, I'm not having you work at a Wendy's. Yes. And that's 100% what would happen. So it's like a really complicated thing where it it really is just very specific problems to a specific culture because class is culture. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really hard for people to navigate that, especially if you don't come from money like myself. For many years, I had zero empathy for people who came from money. None whatsoever. I'm like, oh, your parents are paying for your your rent. You don't know what it's actually like to have to struggle for this. Fuck Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And to some extent, I still feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> but same. overall, when I really navigate those feelings, I do have empathy where it's like, this is a situation I will never understand. I will never understand what it's like to be in this situation. And it is not my job to determine whether or not this is, quote unquote, acceptable for you to be upset with. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, it's a universal all thing that we should be sympathetic to, like, the ruling class. But I'll say. Oh, yeah. Fuck no. <laughs> uh, but I will say that. In terms of, like, teen films, it's easy to forget that um, in the grand scheme of society, uh, the rich kid in high school doesn't make all the decisions. It's their parents. Mm-hmm. They're the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing I do love that we get to do about the show is we get to see how, like, shit trickles down. Yes. Because it's always the parents. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that we've got a good grasp on baby. Let's talk about Johnny. Oh, Johnny. First of all. Patrick Swayze, ultimate dreamboat. He this, is the Swayzeist. This is this is not his hottest version. That's Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> but like, here's the thing about Johnny, and here's kind of one thing I was going into Dirty Dancing, bracing like bracing myself for. Mm-hmm. I was prepared for him to be a scumbag. Mm-hmm. I was prepared for this to be like a bad relationship because that's what everyone has always acted like it is. And everything I've ever heard from people who like reanalyze Dirty Dancing is like, oh, Johnny's a piece of shit. Oh, Johnny is like an abuser. Oh, Johnny's too old. And I, I think back to this Family Guy joke where it was like, blah, 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 blah. I'll remember the unused ending to Dirty Dancing. And the joke is like, what are you, 40? She's 16. He's not 40. He's like 24 and she's 18, which is still a little bit of a difference, but it's also the 60s. That difference basically doesn't exist in the right. 60s. And it's not 
as scummy as everyone made it out to be where it's like, oh, yeah, he's like in his 30s because Swayze is in his 30s. But Jennifer Grey is 26. Exactly. So it just it feels really weird that people have had, which, by the way, the end of that family guy joke is that Johnny gets sent to prison and, and prison sex happens and he's not too keen on that. So, haha, 2005. But it just feels weird to me that that's sort of the impression that I have gathered from this movie over the years. Like, is that the common opinion? Because I feel like when people bring up this movie and they are at all critical of it, that's what they do. So yes and no. Um, the the reevaluation of that relationship has been a pretty recent thing, given the fact that we are reevaluating a lot of relationships in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point, though, where I think there has been a bit of an overcorrection. Because I would agree. For one, if you Google like what ages they're supposed to be, the Google results of like things people also search for. One of the results is like Johnny and Dirty Dancing is a pedophile, and like first off, that's a loaded fucking word. Uh, the statutory and pedophile aren't the same thing, and correct. I would like us to use the correct words when referring to the correct things. Yeah, because words mean things. There is a difference, and um, yeah, words mean things. Um, but also, they they always say like, oh well, baby, it's the summer before she's going to college, therefore she's seventeen. Most people graduate high school at 18. Oh, yeah. I had a very late birthday for my grade, and it was in the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. So the school year ended. I graduated. Then I had a birthday, and that was it. Like, I was 18 that whole summer. And that's and the mine case, was late. And that is the case for a majority of people, because just statistically, more people are going to be born from January until... June, July, well, then yeah. August through December. Also, they like... It, Actually, it'd be August through September because we use September for birthdays for school years. Yeah, and I know like a lot of schools, if you're going to have a late birthday like that, they actually recommend pushing you back a grade. They do. I have my, like my cousin, is, her birthday is in the, the latter half of September. So she didn't start school the same year as everybody else that was born the year she was. So mm-hmm. then she just was the oldest person in her grade the year before. Yeah. So even theoretically, say she does have a late, a, a late birthday... She's probably already 18 then. <laughs> I think with basic certainty, she is 18. That's how I feel. And here's the thing. Say she's not, right? Say she's not. Say she is 17. The way that people take that one year difference between 17 and 18 and infantilize the shit out of people mm-hmm. is really upsetting to me. I mean, the fact that her name is Baby and also that... Jennifer Grey seems aged down in this role, even from where she is in Ferris Bueller's, or even in, like, Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly it. The reason she's aged down in this movie is because they are trying to play this, like, sheltered rich girl sort of thing. And mm-hmm. people who are sheltered do tend to appear younger because they don't have the maturity. They haven't been hardened by the world yet. They don't yet. have world experience. Yes. Yeah. So they do come off as younger, but that's also feeding into this narrative of the entire movie. Like, they call her baby because they are constantly infantilizing her. Mm -hmm. And so by following into that narrative of, like, Johnny is going after a child, like, you are stripping her of her autonomy in this. Like, she's, she's a college student. She's going to college. She knows what she's doing. Give her some fucking credit. Also, I mean, I don't want to get into a weird territory with this, but like I have this conversation a lot about a lot of different topics, which is that in the early 60s, 
who would have had a conversation with Johnny about age-related stuff? You don't know something's wrong until you know something is wrong. And even then, like, wrong is being generous in this instance. So, yes, you are absolutely right. And this does come into a very complicated part of history that a lot of people don't want to accept was a reality. We see this a lot when we talk more so about, like, rock stars, right? Mm -hmm. And how David a lot David Bowie's of, a big one. David Bowie's a big one. Elvis, like, he's infinitely more problematic in my opinion. But, like, yes. that's, a, that's its own can of worms. But it was very common in the 50s and 60s for men that were in their early to mid-20s to marry women who were teenagers. Women were not working. Women were not doing these things. They were basically getting a high school diploma and becoming wives. Like, mm -hmm. that was their life. So the fact that baby's even going to college is already, like, out of this world. Like, mm -hmm. that's unheard of for most people that, you know, run in her circles. That's an impressive trait. But there were not cultural conversations happening about, like, this is an inappropriate relationship. They weren't happening. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say, like, oh, well, it's common sense. You should know better. Like, but they don't. You don't know what you don't know. Common sense isn't common. Common sense is not common. And if there is no common discussion being happening of, like, yeah, this is not appropriate, then... I, I, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's an ugly part of our history, but it's fucking reality. Like, how many people tell stories about, like, their grandparents or their great-grandparents where it's like, and I followed her every day and asked her out every day for two years, and then she finally said yes, and now we've been married for 70 years. Like, we I hear that. I swear we bring this specific example up so many times. it happens all the fucking time. <laughs> or people will talk about their grandparents, and they're like, my grandparents have a 10-year age difference, and they've been married for 70 years. And it's like, yeah, okay, 70 years ago, we probably should have assessed this. Should they have gotten together at that time period? Probably fucking not. But we were not having those conversations then. And to act as if we were and to use the moral code as if that is how it has always been, it, it, it's ahistorical. And mm -hmm. it sucks. But, like, this is why it's important to have these conversations because without them, we don't have the correct context. Yes. And here's, here's, a, here's a person who fucking took a shit in my cornflakes about this movie is they want to talk about age gap relationships and they completely neglect everything that goes on with Johnny. Mm-hmm. They always do. Oh yeah. That like he's like 24 years old and for pretty much like his entire working life, he sort of has been like having sex and whoring himself out to older women at like this club or at places he is. Because he's young and he's hot and he's got like great cardio and physique and all of these fuddy-duddy old men just want to play poker or whatever. But he's not comfortable with that. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe the money feels nice. Maybe like want being wanted feels nice in a sense. But it we completely neglect the damage that's done to him in this regard because we want to villainize him because men are always the problem. And... I'm so glad that you brought that up because you're that is an aspect of Dirty Dancing that no one ever fucking talks about. I was floored when that got introduced because I was like, oh, this is just a thing and no one brings it up? Mm-hmm. It's just a thing and no one brings it up. He is expected as somebody who works on, like, the entertainment side at this resort that you are also supposed to be available to some of the rich older women. Also, you're a guy. You always want sex, right? This is a treat for you. Right. Like, it is so bananas how people just 
completely ignore that entire part of this movie Mm -hmm. because it doesn't fit their narrative to paint that like, oh, this is a problematic relationship. Like, not only is that an aspect of the movie, but it's a central aspect of like the conflict. Mm -hmm. Because Johnny says like, no, I want to be with baby because like she's close to my age and I actually have deep feelings for her. And like, I'm this matters to me and I'm making a decision about my life. And then one of the guests just goes, oh, well, fuck that. I'm going to say you stole from us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ruin you because you didn't want to have sex with me. Mm-hmm. And again, a thing no one talks... Like, this movie has so much to talk about. It is so complex. And there are so many different power dynamics at play that no one ever wants to talk about mm-hmm. because we love binary thinking and just being like, man equals bad. We want a simple story. And what's funny is Dirty Dancing, despite being like a silly dance romance... Is a very complex story. Yeah, no shit. There's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> and like, I need to say for the record, like, this is not us trying to be like, hashtag not all men. Like, we're not doing that. But we are assessing the movie as it's being presented and having the conversations that are long fucking overdue in this movie. This is our last night together, lover. I've got something worked out for us. Oh, excuse me, sir. The pirate number is next. Oh, yeah, thanks. Hey, kid. Listen, you know I play cards all weekend, and I got an all-night game tonight. Why don't you uh, give my wife some extra dance lessons? Um... I'm sorry, Mr. Pressman, but I'm booked up the whole weekend, you know, to show and everything, so I won't have time for anything else. And I don't think it'd be fair to take the money. I feel like I'm always in a weird position. Maybe it's just because, like, stuff like Johnny is very, is much closer to my lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, these are things that I remember from being, like, 16 to, like, 18 years old. Listen to our episodes on Assassination Nation and Daydream Nation. Weird that they both have nation in them, but yeah. okay. Just this is how this country works. Uh-huh. So th- this feels much more in line with what I know. And I find myself in an unenviable position when we do this show where I have to defend the men in movies that people don't want to defend. Mm-hmm. And that's weird because I, I know that we want to just be like, oh, well, the guy's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, he, there's the patriarchy and he's in a position of power and he should know better. And it's like, well, he doesn't know better. And mm-hmm. also, he has his own life and he has his own problems. He has his own struggles. But you don't want to ignore those. But you want to ignore those because he's in a position of power. But the issue is this trickles down. The issue is the patriarchy. And the yeah. patriarchy hurts everyone, including men. Yes, like we should, there, there should be more of an active understanding of men who are not bad people, but are trying. Mm-hmm. Like there should be more empathy allowed for these characters because if you want to go ahead and paint them as villains and say like, oh, it's the patriarchy, they're still part of it no matter what, fine, you can do that. But that's not lending into like the correct ideals of what feminism is. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk about the patriarchy by ignoring them, they only get worse because they're being ignored and their problems are left to fester and they're being told to choke it down. Like, and, what issue, and whatever issues they've grown up with and have had burned into their soul, by ignoring them and just pushing them down, it's going to make them worse, which adds to the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Like... I don't like being in this position because I feel weird like I have to defend like boyfriends sometimes on this show mm-hmm. or I have to defend like suitors or I have to defend like just some guy and 
oh no, the the reanalysis of a movie in like the 21st century is that they're bad because of this and they should know better, but it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. We love to have simple conversations and we also love to be very high and mighty and make grand statements without actually assessing how we got to that point. Because another thing that we have to take into consideration here is that there is also an intersectional issue. So like, yes, Johnny could be perceived as having the power position because he is a a cis man. Mm -hmm. He is older. These are both true statements. He's poor. Mm -hmm. He's poor at a rich people resort. Oh, yeah. He does not have that power position here. No, he has to do a lot of things he does not want to do because he can't lose this job. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, this is an issue where, like, intersectionality is important because outside of the the ecosystem of this resort, if you're just walking on the street, if you're just existing in the world, yeah, of course. He absolutely. He's white. He's young. He's handsome. He's handsome. He's got the world at his feet. Absolutely. But we're not out there. We're in the Catskills. No. We're We're at a resort with a lot of rich people. He is the bottom of the goddamn barrel. He's mixing it up with these animals. (laughs) <laughs> like the only thing that could like in there there's no real people of color in this movie they are used for entertainment because it is the 60s and it's rich white people and yeah. it's shitty and like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna ignore that aspect of it but there it's not much deeper than that like it's racist there, like straight up there there's the guy who does tap dancing whom i love yeah he's great he's, he's super old talented and he's great <laughs> um you have some background characters who work at the resort and you have some of the people on the soundtrack yep that's it. That's it. And it's it's just, it's straight up racism. That's what it is. Um, it, but is it is this early 60s. It's the early 60s. It's just fucking racist. Um, but in, in the sense of like the world that they have built at this resort, like Baby does have the power in this. Baby is the one who gets her dad to help out in the, in the situation. She's the one who gets the money to pay for the abortion. She's oh, she- the one who gets her dad to take care of her when there are complications. That's power that mm-hmm. none of them have. That is access and privilege that none of them have. Oh, yeah. I um I looked it up just on a whim and an abortion that cost $250 during this period. Uh, the inflation's about 900%. So it's just shy of $2,500. She's able to obtain that money. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Just on good faith. Mm-hmm. That in, and granted, it is good faith. Um, we find out that Unfortunately, the options are slim and it gets dicey and we'll get into that aspect of the movie in its own little section at some point. Mm -hmm. But that is power. That is absolutely power. No one else could have done that in this movie. No. And that is, uh, again, an aspect of the movie that people don't like to take into consideration because it fucks with their retrospective narrative that, like, this is inherently a problematic thing. Like, it, no, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Complication does not equal problematic. It means complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie is. And I think that's why this movie has managed to stand the test of time because it has the big flashy elements like the soundtrack and the dancing, and that is a big deal. Obviously, the the lift at the end is one of the most, like, recreated and memed moments in any teen movie, just fully. I mean, I really like it when they did it in pro wrestling with Warhorse and Kylie Ray. Yeah, it was really nice. Where he bamboozled <laughs> her and ends up power slamming her when yes. he goes for the lift while the music's playing. Yeah, it's, it's great. fantastic moment. 
Indie wrestling is the best. So like that kind of stuff is really wonderful. But at the same time, like this isn't like a, like a fuck off movie. Like no. there's a lot of serious stuff going on. There's a lot of complex stuff going on. And it makes sense because the script was written by Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote this based on her own life. Mm-hmm. Like this is pretty semi-autobiographical. And I think that, you know, it's it's that example of like, the best writing is when you you write what you know. Yeah. And she knows this world and she knows the inner workings and she knows the complexities of it. And that's why this movie is so hearty and rich. Oh, yeah. And this is one of those films that I think succeeds because it's as deep as you want it to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can watch this movie with surface level. Fuck off. Doesn't matter. Just look at the pretty dancing. Oh, yeah. But if you give it the time to breathe and really let the themes sink in with you, it's a really powerful watch. Oh, yeah. Like, BJ, a uh, question. So, obviously, your mom loved this movie, so you grew up watching it at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I know that you have unique circumstances in terms of what you were allowed to see compared to <laughs> most kids. Correct. But just imagine this for a sec, that a mom in any other household goes, yeah, this movie with a substantial and dangerous abortion subplot, that's cool to show my five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Dirty Dancing, it's totally fine. Like, they're not going to mm-hmm. understand, whatever. Mm-hmm. But in any other film, like, absolutely not. Most households would never let that stand. No, uh, my mom, I, I was really thinking hard about this after I had that conversation with her. I'm pretty sure this is the movie that taught me what an abortion was. Mm-hmm. I'm almost positive because I have this weird memory of watching it in our living room and knowing that she was pregnant and that she needed money. And in my brain, I think it was like, oh, they're just going to like put the baby up for adoption because my brain was like, oh, she can just do that. Like <laughs> they can just take a baby Scoop out of the you. the fetus out yeah. and just like grow it in a jar and then give it to a different family. I mean, kind of. Yeah. I think that's where my brain was yeah, at. Good logic. And then when you see her, you know, in pain, I was like, what's happening? And my mom had to explain what was happening to me, mm-hmm. which then meant explaining abortion. And obviously my family is absolutely pro-choice. Yeah. Um, so... You know, so that was something that I always knew that I had as as an option growing up, which Mm -hmm. was, I think, very odd for a lot of people. So many people grow up in households where, like, that's not even a possibility. Mm -hmm. They don't even know that it exists. Like, I knew that an abortion was an option before I was ever even having sex. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that, considering, you know, listen to our episodes on, like, Juno (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Unpregnant. Just, we got his back catalog where it's, like, (laughs) reference page 82 for this story. Um, But, like, here's the thing is that I didn't know that this was an abortion movie until people started talking about it post Roe v. Wade. Really? I didn't. Well, it's because every conversation is either about, like, the flowery, fluffy stuff, like the dancing, the romance. That's what people like to bring up when they bring it up in, like, rose-colored glasses. And then the other aspect, which we obviously just talked our way through, is that people go, oh, no, I'm actually mad at this movie because it's bad because Johnny's bad. He's a bad boy, but he's bad in general. And all of that, I think, distracts from the fact that, like, this is a huge part of the movie and I was not aware of it mm-hmm. because that was not the conversation at hand with this film. Because it, it never is. And we we do have to talk about the abortion plot because it's unbelievable because – One, it's unbelievable for the 80s that we saw it, but it's even more unbelievable because this movie's a period piece set in the 60s. Uh That is unheard of um, to to, to have that sort of situation happen. But what I love so much about it is that, one, 
they talk about abortion in kind of like a frank way of like, I don't want this baby. Like, I just, we got to do something about it. Yeah, what is his name? Robbie? Mm-hmm. Robbie's a piece of shit. Robbie's a piece of shit. Yeah, Johnny's the one who steps up to take care of her and make sure she is okay and that she's able to get the resources that she can, like, in whatever way he can provide, which ends up being through baby. Mm-hmm. Um, So we have that going on. But then there's the complications because abortion wasn't easy to come by mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, like, I believe the circumstances were, like, a new med student and it was on a dirty table with a dirty knife. Yeah, I mean, Roe v. Wade happened a decade later. <laughs> Jesus. So we're, pre, we're pre-Roe v. Wade in this situation. Well, and yeah, I mean, baby's dad asks, is it illegal? Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of like, eh. Yeah. And that's, that is a painful and unflinching reality that, again, people don't want to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have that conversation that um, if you do not have access to safe abortion, it does not make abortion not happen. It just makes it dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing. This is a dangerous situation. She could have died. Thank fuck baby's dad is a doctor who carries around his little doctor briefcase, which I hope that all doctors still do that. I, I, I don't was, know if they do. I think it was because house calls were more common at the time. They were very much more common, but it just like kind of seems like, I don't know, a thing that you would do like I mean, just in like, case of emergencies. I think it would just be cool to carry around your little leather carpet bag for doctor stuff with just a huge bottle of morphine. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of sick. But maybe he brought it along because he knew it was going to be a bunch of old people doing minor physical activity and they might keel over. You know. <laughs> So, but but here's the thing with like this abortion subplot is that it's entirely central to the progression of the actual plot of the rest of the movie because Penny has to get her abortion, so she's going to be she's going to be laid up for a bit. Mhm. Which is why baby has to step in as Johnny's dance partner. Mhm. And that's where they start to learn to dance and they spend time with each other and they get mm-hmm. to know each other. Mhm. So. This movie does not exist unless Penny has to seek out abortion. Yeah. And again, wild that that doesn't come up in conversation when that is the whole, like, <laughs> that is the inciting incident of this entire movie. Uh-huh. You look much better. You just missed your father. He's such a wonderful man. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Oh, you couldn't have. It's okay. Hey. Johnny. So, how you doing? I'm okay. Yeah? Dr. Houseman says I'm going to be fine. I can still have children. Oh, Penny, that's great. That's really great. So, all of that heavy stuff done, and I'm sure we'll double back to it, do we want to talk about the romance? Do we want to talk about the chemistry? Um, the undeniable chemistry that shouldn't exist because Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze hated each other so much on Red Dawn, and yet they are magic in this movie. Yeah, like, so Jennifer Grey really didn't have starring roles up till this point. Swayze had been in a few, but God, like... I've always thought Swayze was very handsome in some roles more than others. The one I always uh, bring up is like, hey, I remember people talking about how pretty John Leguizamo is in Tu Wong Fu. To quote Wesley Snipes, that is a boy in a dress. Swayze is a woman. (laughs) Like gorgeous. Like the range of this man. I love him so much. 
I didn't get the I didn't I didn't get the romance of this movie mm-hmm. until we get to Hungry Eyes, mm-hmm. and he's teaching her to dance, and he's like they're sweaty. And he's being kind of forceful, like slapping her arms around and just being like, really like, no, I'm going to put, I'm going to bend you and put you in this exact position because that's good form. Mm-hmm. And he's like kind of manhandling her. And it's like, it's it's really sexy. <laughs> All of your bottom tendencies are like, mm? mm-hmm. I just had this moment where I'm just like, I, I turned to BJ and she thought it was the funniest thing ever. I just go, oh, oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is it happens during the scene, which this is authentic, and I think that that's so great, but when he's trying to put her arm up over his head, and then he runs his fingers down her side and, like, kind of, like, grazes her side boob, mm-hmm. and she keeps laughing. So that's real. Like, mm-hmm. that is just Jennifer Grey laughing at him because either she's ticklish or it's just hilarious to her. Mm-hmm. And they kept it because it is so sweet and so endearing and so, like, it's so indicative of, like, how good their relationship could be in like this like young love like it's very very sweet mm-hmm. but that's what happened when you said it and i was like yeah he's the swayziest <laughs> like it's uh. unbelievable and the thing people also i think often forget and shouldn't i i would say more newer generations because they they don't know but like he was trained at the joffrey ballet like mm-hmm. swayze is a dancer that's why he's fantastic in roadhouse mm-hmm Unbelievable. I'm just going to name so drop talented. all of these Swayze movies that we will never get a cover on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, watching the two of them is so fantastic because also Jennifer Grey's dad is Joel Grey, like Broadway theater fucking legend, original MC, like welcome in Joel Grey. Mm-hmm. And so obviously you have two people that understand like the importance of like physical acting and dancing on a level that a lot of their contemporaries could not. Mm-hmm. And that's not like not to shade on any of them, but like it's so it's palpable. Like they just ooze charisma and sex appeal and chemistry. Like it's electric to and watch the two of that's them. That's what you need for a movie about two people dancing. Mm-hmm. They need to have like that physical chemistry and they do. I love it so much. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and the dancing is also really wonderful. I mean, there there's there's the trained dancing and like the choreographed dancing, and then there's like just like the hot and heavy, like dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. And we've got to shout him out, choreographed by Mr. Kenny Ortega, director of such hits as High School Musical and Hocus Pocus. Kenny, my dude, Dark Horse Kenny Ortega is gonna have be one of the most credited people on this podcast when oh, all is said and done. My God, like the dancing in this is so awesome and just it's so fun to do and it's fun to look at and it doesn't ever feel like cheesy the way that like some of the Grease choreography does. Like no shade or but, like Footloose. Yeah, some of the Footloose choreography can be a little hokey at times. Oh, I, I watched a lot of Footloose recently on yeah. Pluto, yeah, and did. I never watched it before. I'm like, wow, this movie's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about Footloose on the show eventually as its own episode, but yeah, that movie's real goofy. Um, like, it's fun, but it's real goofy. Um, but the, the dancing and dirty dancing is just magnificent and makes me so very happy. And that lift. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the lift. Oh, they, you have to. It's like foretold. It's teased. We get we get little samples of it when they're in the water and they're mm-hmm. being sexy in the water and stuff. Because it just it is a long montage of him teaching her to dance, mm-hmm. and it's great. 
it is like a top tier 80s montage that goes through like two or three songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, unbelievable. But it's alluded to on like the event that Penny had to bail on, like where he has to do the mamba at a, at a different place. Mm-hmm. It's alluded to and she, she chickens out and she can't do it. But then at the end, she does it. Yeah. And like the whole end of this movie is like Swayze rocking back up after getting fired. Not because he stole, because they end up busting this old couple who's been apparently stealing stuff for a long time. It's because Baby reveals that they had a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's why he got fired. Mm-hmm. So she did it for nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing but the pure passion of love. Yes. <laughs> so he rocks back up at like the talent show end of season performance in like his leather jacket looking like the coolest fucking dude mm-hmm. and then like leads choreography with like all of the staff and mind you there's there's this woman who you see in the background a lot throughout the whole movie whenever there's dancing and she's she's a little heavier set she's got like short hair she's on Swayze's right during the scene that woman just oozes sex like she looks like she just had sex and she wants to have sex again I love her <laughs> She's awesome. She really does, though, and that is absolutely the energy she gives in every performance. I have no idea who that actor is. I tried looking for it to figure it out. I don't know. She's amazing. She's incredible. <laughs> so they eventually go into, like, time of my life, and they're dancing, and he does, like, a dramatic leap off the stage, and it's so romantic, and then, like, they do the lift. Mm-hmm. And it is glorious. It's so well shot. Like, it's backlit, and... There, there's this almost, there's this element to this movie that I'm not sure is like the deliberate choice, but feels like a deliberate choice because I, I don't think it's a perfect way because it's, it's broken a little bit. Um, so in the early '60s, this is the most like fuddy-duddy kind of time for rock and roll music. This is when mm-hmm. you have like Brian Hyland releasing "Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini" because all the other dudes have been arrested or gone to the army, died. Uh, found Jesus like it's 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 not an exactly an exciting time for dangerous rock and roll mm-hmm. but the moments where they're together is when it's like ah there, here's the 80s music mm-hmm. it's it's like we're going into the future and you have the guy who manages this resort even say like I don't know man this is just a new generation and I don't know how much longer we can keep this going up because kids just don't care about what we have to offer anymore mm-hmm. and it climaxing with now everyone dancing to the time of our lives, which is such a... Jennifer Warrens also does Up Where We Belong with Joe Cocker. So she mm-hmm. just does big yeah. 80s soundtrack singles. Yes. She's incredible. But this feels like a jubilant progression where everyone's on the same page at the end. Mm-hmm. It just feels good. Like the power of dance did that in a way that <laughs> Footloose doesn't. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And two things happen in this climax that I think are really interesting. So one, we get the iconic line of nobody puts baby in a corner. Which, which comes is- <laughs> out of nowhere. It's like a throwaway line. It's a throwaway line. And also it's not like there's a point where it's like foreshadowed earlier. She just happens to be in a corner. And yeah. I don't know what it means other than she's literally in a corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do also get the the accountability and forgiveness from dad, Mr. Jerry Orbach, who's like, hey, I know that you're not the one who got Penny in trouble. Oh, yeah. Because he bit the bullet for her. Well, he said, like, who's responsible for her? And he said me in terms of, like, you know, I'm the dance partner and I'm the person who is here to make sure she's okay. I'm the closest to her. And I think they had like sort of a relationship. I mean, they're dance partners. So like that, like there's an intimate connection there. Yeah. But, but like, like he's not the one who got her pregnant. Yes, exactly. Robbie did. Right. Where and dad doesn't know that. And he is Robbie. Assumes. 
fucking tells on himself. Robbie's a shithead. Yeah. I don't like you, Robbie. So 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 dad just ends up being like, hey, Robbie, you're a good kid. Anyway, here's some money for med school. And he goes, cool, thanks for paying for that abortion. He goes, what? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Robbie fucking sucks. So Robbie's an idiot and like it all sorts itself back out mm-hmm. where Swayze was a good guy all along. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy trying his best. Yeah, I love it. And like, I, I love a good guy trying his best. And like he even had tried earlier to meet with baby's dad at like I don't know their their little hut their mm. their little cabin uh, beach cabana. house whatever it is I don't know wherever they're staying. Um, so they're hanging out there, and he's like, "Hey, um, I love your daughter, and I just want to take care of her and all of this stuff." And he goes. Yeah, well, I think you're an irresponsible shithead, and fuck you, get away from me. <laughs> like, that's not what he says, but that's essentially what that's he says. That's the subtext. Yeah, so it all comes around where it's like, hey, you know what? If Jerry Orbach is wrong about Johnny, maybe you've all been wrong about Johnny this whole time, too. <laughs> I think that that is a perfect note to go out on. So, Harmony, Dirty Dancing is asking you to the prom. Yeah. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Are you buying a ticket so they can go on their own? Here's the thing. I'd actually had only ever seen Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, which I I thought it was a sequel because Swayze is older in it. It's apparently a prequel. I was not aware of that. Anyway, I'd seen it like three times in Spanish class in high school. Knowing everything that I know about your public school education... Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> this tracks for me completely. That's not a knock on public school. I'm also a public school kid, but your specific public school, the fuck? <laughs> it was like one of those things where, I don't know, like the, the Spanish teacher, Miss Piper, was like young and fun and she thought Swayze was handsome and I took her class two different years, so I just watched it more than most people did. I, it was the kind of thing where like a teacher has like three movies in their desk and goes like, cool, we don't feel like working today or it's like the day before Christmas break, we're going to throw on a movie. Dirty Dancing Havana Nights was one of those. Gotcha. Okay. So I don't remember having particularly any feelings about it. It was a thing we watched. I genuinely loved Dirty Dancing. Like, I oh, loved this I love movie that. a lot. Um, I think this is a strong contender for my favorite romance movie. Like, stri- really? strictly romance movie. There's a lot of movies that have romance. But in terms of a thing where it's like the central point is romance, like, I was shocked by how much I love this movie. <laughs> I did not know any of this about you after watching it because you held back on me. And this is what a, what a delight. What yeah, a great well, surprise. I like to say some things for the show sometimes. <laughs> I'll tell you everything, woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, friends, that takes us out on Dirty Dancing. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Sounds at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title in our theme song. Y'all are the best. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out this week that is inspired by Dirty Dancing? The band I want to shout out this week is called BP and the Oil Spills. That's a really funny name. It's a fantastic name. Like, it's tragic, but it's really funny. It's fine. There's been enough time between the tragedies that we, <laughs> we're allowed to make jokes about it now. Um, so they have a couple songs out on what I guess is an EP called Unrequited. And I specifically shouted them out because I wanted something that felt sort of era appropriate, but with like, we're moving into the future. But I didn't want it to just sound like the Burkharts last week, so that mm-hmm. I did like two retro pop bands in a row. Mm-hmm. So what this is, is uh, the song Breaking Even in particular, I love of the two, where it starts off with like almost uh, phonograph style barbershop arrangements of the vocals, 
before mm-hmm. going into like a nice ascending bridge before bursting into up-tempo like indie rock. And it's awesome. If, if you like Glass Beach, it's got a similar energy to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think they're great. I can't wait for them to release more music because I'm a big fan of both songs that they've released. So um, yeah, someone to keep an eye on. Awesome. Put them on your radar. Well, friends, we will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.